Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the Gov, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with our guest, Bobby Dadaro. Bobby is a strength and conditioning coach for about the past nine years. He's uh, been working mostly with youth athletes of all varieties, but he has a passion for golf and uh, does an excellent job of educating golfers through his, his social media, um, particularly Instagram and Twitter. You can we'll get into that a little bit more in the later episode. You can share where we can follow up and keep up with all the information that he's sharing with us. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I always start off asking everybody, uh, what or how did you get into golf? Yeah, so golf for me started actually in my grandfather's front yard. And I used to take his wiffle balls and I would hit them. Like I would try, he had a staircase out front. I'd try to hit him over, which might explain why I'm a left-handed golfer because he was, but I'm not left-handed in anything else. Um, I can play the part of ambidextrous, but I'm, I'm not truly that way. Um, but, you know, it started with him starting there. So I probably started playing, actually getting out to the course when I was like 12. Um, I did play in high school. I didn't play at all when I was in undergrad in college. And then I picked it back up when I got to grad school and it's just been nonstop since then. Um, you know, starting to fight to get it back. It's uh, my way of being competitive because I played sports my entire life, but I ain't playing anything else anymore. It's, it's golf for me. That's, that's where I'll, I'll put all my efforts, frustrations and all my time. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you're like Jordan Spieth. He's, I'm pretty sure he's right-handed, but plays, no, he's left-handed, but plays right-handed. Sorry. I got that backwards. Yeah. Um, it, it happens. And it's like, um, I, I even played baseball right-handed, but my, I could swing lefty. So I don't, I don't know if either we, we messed up one or the other, or if that's just the way it went, but you know, I so I'm left-handed as hard as it is to find clubs. I I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, the, my dad used to always, whenever he would teach some kids that they're just learning how to play and my dad's not a professional or anything along those lines, but whenever he would teach some kids to play, cause he's played for years, he would, uh, he would always encourage them to go left-handed just because it tended to keep them from slicing and doing all these other funky stuff. Cause instead of trying to push it, they tend to pull with their dominant hand. Right. But <clears throat> I don't know how well that actually is true, but I know I can, I can hook and I can slice and I can do whatever you need from me. Just don't ask me which one. So I go the other way. <laughs> Not on command, huh? All right. So 
as a strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, with the golf fitness being a, a big topic right now, especially with Bryson DeChambeau going, doing everything he's doing, uh, you know, what should someone that's looking to get into golf fitness, what should that new gym goer uh, know about getting in the gym? Yeah, there's a couple things that I like to tell everyone. Um, and, you know, it's mostly about kind of dispelling some of the myths that surround golf and fitness for golf. Um, you know, if you listen to some of the analysts or some of the older players, people either who aren't educated in the topic or were never like immersed in it, it was never a big deal for them. They unfortunately don't have a great perspective because they're just kind of guessing. It would be like me trying to tell someone, you know, how to play tennis better. It's like, I don't know how to play tennis. I, I, I know what I know, but um, I mean, I could tell you like, hey, if you kind of hit it down on it, it might kind of backspin, but I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but when it, comes to, when it comes to golf and fitness, um, the first one is that strength training leads to injury is obviously that's, the, that's false. Strength training itself is not evil. It hasn't done anything wrong. You know, it's not laid on its mortgage payments. Strength training for itself is good. Um, where injury comes from is bad decision-making on a couple different fronts. So if it's someone who goes to the gym on their own and they just go up and, you know, they're doing random programs or random volume, random exercises, who knows what's going to happen? You know, if it's a random approach, then you're going to get random results. It's very, very easy that way. Um, there's, you know, also it's like, you know, when, when certain lifts are properly executed, it's fine. When volume is proper, it's fine. It's when things kind of start to get a little loose, a little goofy. And this could also be on the end of a trainer. Some trainers aren't good. It's any profession. You've been to whatever business, somebody is not good at whatever it is that they do. And it happens in our, our industry. And with the barrier being so low to entry, it happens probably more often than you get. Um, you know, anyone can train somebody else. There's no licensing. There's no requirements. It's just they just need to call themselves a trainer and they're good to go. Um, so you could have bad decision making from a trainer. That's very possible as well. Um, but strength training itself is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, there's right ways and wrong ways to do it, but that's why, you know, you get the right education, you seek out the right professionals. The same way that most people, most, wouldn't take random swing tips from a 15 handicap on the range. I know I wouldn't, even though they try to tell it to me, but you don't know who you're getting your info from. It's got to be from the right sources. So, you know, not trying to get too overboard with, uh, you know, just going in and just seeing and doing. Um, the second big one is, and it's relevant right now, is that strength training will make you bulky. And I think, luckily, that we're actually going to start to see maybe moving away from that idea because we're seeing how much Bryson DeChambeau eats right now. And it is incredible how much he's eating. Um, so I think we can all see that he's gaining the weight and he's getting bigger from the eating. No one's talking about his lifting and good, bad, what he's doing. They're all only talking about the food or some people are accusing him of steroids, but different topics, different conversations. I don't want to hang up on that too much, but 
the the process of getting bulky is really really difficult it is a hard thing to do and most people aren't going to trip fall look at a barbell and become bulky this doesn't work like that it's it's a lot harder than you'd think some people dedicate their entire lives their entire free time to building bulk and doing it in a way where they're either going to get up on stage or they're as big as possible or whatever it is. Um, but most people just going to the gym and just lifting weights aren't going to get bulky just from the lifting weights. People can be bulky on their own. You can have poor eating habits, which will have you carry excess body fat. You could even be lean, but you don't actually do any mobility work. You're just nice and stiff and you're not bulky, but you can't move. So, it's not always the bulky. It's not always the strength training. It's about being able to actually move. And that's why we assess mobility. That's why we assess all the different things that we do is to make sure if someone can do certain things. John Daly is probably one of the biggest guys out there. He's also one of the most mobile. So it's not, you know, directly one equals out the other. It's all about who's in front of me. Uh, and it's too hard. It's or it's too lazy to say like, oh, strength training means bulky. No, not that easy. Um, and the last thing that I like golfers to look for when they're starting to get into fitness is you're always looking for better. It's not. Don't look at someone lifting 325 for reps and think like, okay, well, it's time for me to do that. It's like, nah. You got to start at 100. You got to start then move to 200. Then if you get to 300, great. If you never get to 300, it doesn't matter. It's just a number on a bot. What you're looking for is better, whether it's a little bit stronger, a little bit more stable, a little bit more mobile, or you hit the ball a little bit further. You hit the ball a little bit better. You can hold up there in the season. You can play more rounds. Whatever better is to that person, that's what we need to strive for, not necessarily these great feats because it, guess what? There's always someone stronger, and there always will be. So don't you don't need to chase these milestones because – they, they are inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, so I want a quick question here, follow up on that. You mentioned, you know, having good and bad uh, trainers there. So what are, what are some things that we can look for to know whether somebody's good or bad? So you want to look, and I, I, I do like to begin the conversation with what are someone's qualifications? And I, when I say begin the conversation, I know there's a limitation here. So... Um, for most people working with golfers, you want to at least see usually a TPI certification, which is the Titleist Performance Institute. If someone has at least gone through TPI, then you can feel pretty comfortable that they have a good base of what they're going to try to tell you to do. And at the very least, they can probably assess for your limitations and give you some areas where to improve. Now, what happens from there, I don't know, because, again, anyone can take this cert, anyone can go through it, and I've seen people leave there and they have no clue how to actually do the assessment and do some of the screens. So um, I also like to see, and it's a little bit more rare, I like to see a, a strength conditioning certification. So we both hold the CSCS, which is a certified strength conditioning specialist. Um, it, goes, it just shows you that we at least have a scientific and educational base and we were able to pass that certification to hold it. Um, it's again, it's not the end all be all because some people pass that test and they don't do great stuff. So once someone at least has a base, what I what I like to see is they have you know one of the a couple one or two of these things, 
then it's about who have they worked with and who have they helped. And that might be a little bit harder to find, but you need to, you need to know that this person works with golfers, that this person has helped golfers before they've done this. Um, someone who's only, you know, helped bodybuilders get up on a stage might not know the demands of golf might not know it the exact same way that I would never prep someone for a bodybuilding show. I would have no idea that person would get up and probably kill me. I mean, I'd be fired way, way earlier than that, but it's not my area. I'm, I've never helped a bodybuilder get on a stage, but it goes the same way. Like, you know, I am a golfer. I've helped golfers. So I can, you can trust that I at least know how to, you know, get you in the right place. Um, so credentials and qualifications aren't everything, but it's at least where you can begin to know and start to build some trust. It's like, all right, well, at least this person has, they've at least taken the first couple steps to potentially being my solution. Awesome. <clears throat> a little choppy there for me, but got the gist of it. Too. Definitely want to, I like the qualifications and like you said, I'm, I'm completely honest with people. I get somebody that comes in and they're, they're, you know, saying like something more neurological. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm more of like an ortho and sports kind of guy. So we probably want to find some way that can get you, you know, more things. So you're coming in for like a stroke. Yeah. Can I help you? Probably. I'm going to help you as well as the other guy down the street that actually focuses on that. No, definitely not. So, so I definitely agree with that. So then <clears throat> What were, what were some lift recommendations that you would give to somebody starting out? Yeah. So I like to look at, and this is anyone that's been in our industry has probably heard of Dan John and Dan John pretty, he outlines it pretty clear, which is why so many people go back to it. And he breaks the key movements that you should be doing into six, six different patterns. He likes to look at a squat, a hinge, an upper body push, an upper body pull, a carry. And then I think he adds in groundwork um, or maybe in some of the later ones, he adds in groundwork, which I look at groundwork almost like uh, core stability stuff because groundwork is typically like tumbling, rolling, bear crawls, things like that. I just lump uh, core stability into it. And um, I also like to add, I like to be clear and I add a sixth, which is just unilateral strength. So um, mm -hmm. that could be single leg work, single arm work, um, whichever one it is, because I do think if golfers only bilateral squat, only bilateral deadlift or RDL or glute bridge, I do think they're missing something. So I do like to add in a single leg start. So if someone's new to training, it can be as simple as holding a light kettlebell at the chest and doing a regular squat. They don't need a barbell. It doesn't matter. It's really not that important. And a lot of golfers are actually going to see more benefit from using the kettlebell and not a barbell. Uh, same with the same that goes with the deadlift. When I say deadlift, some people might automatically think barbell. They might think conventional stance. And no, for me, a deadlift is really just the pattern of a more hip dominant squat. I mean, it's a, bad way to say it but that's really what it is it's you're hinging at the hip and then you go with the range of motion you have so some people will just deadlift a kettlebell right off the ground sometimes we bump that kettlebell up we make it higher um we could use a hex bar which is taller we can elevate the hex bar 
Um, it's very, actually not very often that I have someone conventionally deadlift yet. That's what a lot of people think of right away. Um, so then when it comes to like some of the upper body stuff, um, I know a lot of golfers are not, or a lot of coaches and golfers are not fans, but for the right person, and that's a key for the right person. I do like the bench press, but it's one of the last movements I give someone. I prefer people start with a push-up. Um, if someone can rep out 10 push-ups at their body weight, and I don't have to worry about how it looks. And if they don't have to worry about how hard it is, then we're on a really, really good path to that. And that's something golfers can do at home is you can get good at push-ups. Just start accumulating as many as you can with that. If you need to build up to push-ups, do one. Walk away, come back five minutes later, do another. Accumulate so many in a day and just start accumulating more. Um, and then, you know, for upper body pulling, simple rows. Rows are good. I'd like people to get the chin-up, but I know we have some limitations with chin-ups. Um, and loaded carries. Loaded carries are one of my favorite movements for golfers. It's a lot of grip strength. It's a lot of core stability. And we can even theorize, and I, again, I don't know if it's a research paper on this, but we can theorize that someone who does loaded carries is actually going to build strength in some of their soft tissues or even some of their connective tissue. Because if you're walking with heavier weight, your tendons are going to, your tendons, ligaments, they're going to respond in your bones. Everything's going to respond in conjunction with that. So that's going to help you down the road so that you can play into later ages because you will be a more durable person. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Dan John comes up a lot because I think that, like you said, the simplicity of what he teaches is, is very there. I don't know that I was, I've heard as much about his groundwork stuff. I'll have to look into more of that. The groundwork is, um, I think that came out a little bit later. I think it originally started with just the five. Then I think the yeah. groundwork came out one of his later books. He doesn't go into it a much, much, but it's like rolling patterns, tumbling patterns. That also might have come out when some of that stuff was a little more popular and kind of mainstream. I haven't heard much about rolling patterns lately, um, but maybe like the mid 2010s, like 2015 mm-hmm. or so, I think it was a little more popular. So we might have like kind of like threw that in there. But uh, I know he's a big fan of bear crawl, so I don't know about the rolling tumbling stuff. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, I can see what you're saying with the core stability being being a big part of that because when I think of that, like, okay, you're using that core to be able to do those patterns or to bear crawls. And I mean, bear crawls are one of my one of my favorites um, for creating that stability and 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 definitely whatnot. So creating that spinal stability. So how, what about like when somebody should progress or how they should progress these, these movements? We've got the simple movements. You mentioned the push, pull, squat, and hinge. When and how should people progress that as? Yeah, so it's all going to be, it's going to be obviously about what's available to you, who are you working with, what are you doing, what are your goals. But for me, you know, if I'm, if I'm starting someone with a kettlebell deadlift as their base movement, well, you can get the heaviest kettlebell and I don't have to worry about three, four sets of, you know, six reps. Well, then we're going to probably move on to a hex bar. Um, I, so what I like to do is I like to take everything as far as it will go. But if you are mid set, um, I always like to say, like, if you like, 
even if like you're doing weights and like, you know, you're squatting a kettlebell and you don't know if you should go up, then what I would say to that, leave two in the tank. So if you're doing eight, when you should, when you can use a weight that you think you can do 10 times, that's probably going to ensure that it looks good, that you can tolerate it and you're going to be able to walk the next day. There's no need to, you know, pick a weight that you can only do six times, grind it out for four sets of eight, and now you can't even get off the toilet the next morning. There's no point. Mm-hmm. It's too much. You don't have to do that to yourself. It's not that. It's not that. But that's not that important. Um, so, you know, if you are so if you are comfortable and you have the right tools and you want to move beyond a goblet squat, then I do like a front squat. I like a front squat with a barbell. Um, you know, if you are comfortable getting into you know, a front squat position or crossing the arm, or if you have a safety bar, I know it's not technically a front squat, but same idea. Then I do like moving into a front squat. Um, I personally don't hate back squats, but I also don't see a lot of use for it in golf when you could get ridiculously good at front squats and you would receive more benefit to your game from it. Um, the, you know, when it comes to a push-up, and I, I mentioned, you know, if you can if you can rock push-ups, we have a lot of progressions for push-ups. Um, you know, we have yoga push-ups. You can add weight to it. You can add, you can take away stability, you know, do a single leg push-up. You know, you can add a band. You can make push-ups as hard as you want, and they almost never have to go away. But if, you know, if you want to move into dumbbell pressing, there's no problem there either for those that, you know, don't have any limitations. Obviously, if you have an achy shoulder, you don't dumbbell bench unless someone is, you know, supervising what you're doing. Um, but I always like moving into some of those more complex patterns. And when I say chin up, a lot of people are like right off the bat are like, Oh, chin ups, not for me. Well, I actually do like the chin up for a number of reasons because we can see two things right off the bat. One is if we have a strength issue, So someone who would say that they're at a decent weight or they're at a weight that they're comfortable with, but can't do chin-ups, then we know that they're not strong enough to do the movement. So we have potentially a strength issue. Now, we also know someone, if they're strong as an ox, but they're a little bit bigger, well, maybe we have a body weight issue on our hand. Maybe losing some weight will help with that ability. So you can kind of audit yourself using that. I also like the idea that and this is, this is something that I've heard uh, with some baseball pitchers and something that I've kind of used. And, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. With the chin-up, we can see if someone can control themselves on the way down during a chin-up, then we know that they have decent eccentric bicep strength. And someone who has eccentric bicep strength can decelerate their arms when they swing, which might take some stress off the elbow. Um, we all know golfer's elbow is rampant and I, I, it's something that I've kind of like played around with and thought, cause at worst, it doesn't hurt to be good at chin ups. There's no bad side of it, but I could also see how, you know, someone who develops that control in that lengthening will then be able to potentially have the better resistance to elbow injuries. Yeah. So, um, my first thought, so like whenever I work with a baseball player after, you know, let's say you know, Tommy John, right? The big thing is always the scapular stabilizers in the back and the rotator cuff because of the, the stress that 
gets transmitted from the shoulder down to the elbow. Um, I never, I hadn't thought about in the golf swing with, with the biceps per se, but what you're saying makes sense to me. Um, I think I would probably still put more emphasis probably on the, on the, the back side of the shoulder, but uh, you're right. Cause you are, as it comes, comes across, you're definitely having to pull to, to slow yourself down. Yeah. And it, obviously we like, you know, you and I both like chin-ups are going to be one of your best vertical pulling exercises. So if mm-hmm. you're mixing in rows, your single arm rows, and then, you know, you do your, um, your shoulder stability work, which is Y's, T's, W's, I's, which, whatever you're using at the time, breakaways, pull-aparts, um, yep. does help to build that whole well-rounded upper body strength. Yeah, no, definitely. So, uh, real fast, you, you've talked, to, you mentioned the front squat and like the goblet squat having such a more benefit uh, to golfers compared to the back squat. You want to touch on a little bit more, what benefits do you get from that front squat that you don't may not get from the back squat? Yeah, so from, from a stability perspective, having the weight in front of you forces more trunk stability. So you need to inherently have more core stability to be able to front squat, not tipping, wobbling or anything. And same with the goblet squat. The goblet squat is just a little bit easier because it's a little bit lighter and closer to you. So you do get an inherent level of um, stability from that. I still like dedicated core stability. I'm not a guy that says you can get all the core stability you need from squats. It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. But um, the other thing I like is how it pertains to club head speed. So for golfers that are looking for faster speeds, longer drives, more of a performance side of things, the a front-loaded squat is a more vertical movement. The back squat ends up getting a little more horizontal. Front squats stay more vertical, so you're going to get more vertical force production. Vertical force production is correlated with club head speed. So we can take it and we can say, well, if someone can produce more vertical power, they're going to hit the ball further. And the best way to get more vertical power is typically a front-loaded squat and some unilateral work reinforced with some power stuff after that. But your base is the front squat. Um, Anyone who's good at front squats and can move like pretty considerable loads, they've never really had issues with uh, force production off of that. Cool, cool. And then the other thing you touched on is – you don't like the bench press as much for, for golfers particularly, but um, what about like a cable press? Yeah. So what I like to go with is when it comes to pressing, I like people to start with dumbbells if they can. And obviously there's a lot that goes into who can do what and when. So if someone is clear of shoulder injuries and if you don't know if you are or not, I recommend going to see someone. Um, if you have the question, then there's some level of doubt. Go see who you need to see. Um, but if you're clear and you're good to go, I do like dumbbell pressing. I do like cable pressing. Um, but cable pressing sometimes is actually limited by the torso in core stability. So actually, and I know it's a, I know it's a big golf exercise, but sometimes that uh, that cable lift isn't necessarily the best upper body exercise, although it is a great total body exercise. Um, 
So I do like dumbbell pressing. If it means a neutral grip, it means a neutral grip. If someone doesn't have great range of motion and it means we're putting them on the floor to cut off that range of motion, then we do that. It's whatever modifications we need to kind of do. Um, I do like the cable press. I don't want to, you know, be like, oh, Bobby hates the cable press because I don't. Um, but I do like to incorporate whatever pure upper body stuff we can do. And, you know, being good at push-ups and getting into some dumbbell pressing with the support of that bench, those are both helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I've always, I feel like I've always gone, and this is my personal training myself, gone towards the cable press because of the core stability aspect of it. Um, but I see what you're saying. Like if we're, if we're purely looking for improving the strength of pressing with the upper body, then having a little bit more stability for the core inherently with the bench or laying on the ground or whatever it may be, then allows you to get better at pressing. So, yeah, it's, it's always about evaluating what, what, what's the goal here. So if you use a cable press and you say, this is going to be my big upper body strength movement. Well, just remember, you're, you're limiting what the upper body can do. If you say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some banded pushups and I'm going to, uh, that's going to be my big upper body. And, you know, I want to get an accessory. I want to get my unilateral stuff in. I'm going to use a cable press. Yeah. It's, it's going to incorporate the core a little bit, but I already did my big upper body thing. So acknowledging that, all right, let's cable press. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it absolutely fits that mold. And that's why there's no such, I don't think it's such a bad thing as a bad exercise. It's just making sure that we're using the right exercises for the right goals. Right. More of a timing or a, what's being used together uh, or, and a volume issue like you mentioned earlier. But cool. Thank you. Um, so you mentioned front squats and the increasing club head speed. Anything else that you know, club head speed being such a big topic, anything, any other lifts that you think are really good at helping develop that club head speed? Yeah, I think being good on one leg. So if you can split squat and lunge, it's going to give you the stability that you need on the one leg, because there is obviously a weight transfer when you swing a club. And if, if you are losing your stability, well, you're not going to be as powerful because you don't have that stable base. Um, I also like the deadlift or really in de when I say deadlift, I mean really just glute training. So if it's if people shouldn't deadlift because it just doesn't fit their anatomy, great. They can glute bridge. So whatever it is that we can get the glutes stronger, because when we get into hip extension, the glutes are the biggest muscle to do that. So we want to utilize them. We don't want to do it through the hamstrings of the low back. We want to make sure the glutes can actually extend and put some force into the ball. Um, and... I still like I still like my I still like my push-ups and my chin-ups because when you develop power from the lower body, it does it, it it transfers into the upper body. So you don't develop it up here, but you need to be stable enough up there. So you do need that upper body strength to be able to maintain it. Um, so when it comes to my power stuff, then I'll get into you know kettlebell swings, jumping, throwing med balls. But that would be my reinforcement of some of the strength stuff. If you don't have the strength stuff first, it's really difficult to then put it together with that reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. Um, another question here, you mentioned getting that speed work with the swings and the, the med ball throws. Where would you 
plan on that in your program? Yeah. So I like, so the, the old, like, you know, the textbook way of saying of where some of this is, they say, well, you should do three months of a basic plan and three months of strength and three months of power. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. It's not that easy. We don't have three perfect three month blocks. It doesn't work. So what I do, I, what I like to do though, I like to put that stuff at the very beginning because new trainees absorb mostly everything. It's, you can throw a lot of different qualities at them and they can take it on mostly because that's neurological benefit. But if you get that nervous system moving faster, that's a very good thing for us. Um, so you can tell though, when someone starts to reach their peak of their jumping, isn't going as high there's not swinging the kettlebell the way you like to see um, if they're doing speed training, the miles per hour aren't kind of increasing, then you need to kind of be like, okay, well, you know, let's build a bigger engine, you know, spend some time, focus on strength a little bit. And then, you know, once those strength levels start to make some pretty good increase, we'll reintroduce those things and see where you're at. Um, I think a lot of people want strength conditioning to be so definite, like, when will I swing at 120 or when will I be able to play pain-free? It's, well, we're going to do some stuff. We're going to see where you're at. And then we're going to do more stuff. And, you know, we're always, we're always seeing where, where, where are you at? Um, so true, true beginners can actually take on some power stuff with their strength stuff. And they will, you know, they will get those benefits. Again, it's going to be mostly nervous system based. But then you reevaluate, see where you're at, give it a few weeks of just strength training because, you know, strength training is force production. You're going to be able to produce more force. So even if you're not, you know, swinging the kettlebell at that time, you're going to be more powerful. And when it comes time to now take that power and do it more quick, you're going to be in business. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mean, going on the, the new trainees to kind of take on everything, I think, with Jim's opening up here in the last couple of weeks and getting back in uh, here in Virginia, <clears throat> noticing, you know, how sore I am afterwards and whatnot, even knowing, okay, going in, I was like, okay, I got to be, you know, ease back into it. And I still just like getting back into that nervous system, getting back to it. But you know, within two weeks, I'm like, okay, yeah, now I'm not sore. And I was same, doing the same thing two weeks ago. And so it's like, okay, there's been a decent amount of change, even in that short period of time with, um, now granted I'm not like a complete newbie, but it's been three months since I've done most of that stuff. So it's been a long enough time period where my body is having to make that adaptation real fast again. Yeah, exactly. All right. So wrapping up here, our, our ending questions, we ask everybody, so what's your favorite golf course or golf memory? So I think my favorite, so my favorite golf course is up here in Massachusetts. It's actually a it's actually a public course in the center of the state, uh, center-ish of the state, and it's called Red Tail. And the reason I like Red Tail is it gives you a lot of different options. And a lot of courses around here, they either throw so much slope at you or they make it so flat that you're not really doing anything. But Red Tail, you, you go play it. Some of the greens are punch bowls, so you just kind of hit it at it, and the ball funnels down, or you know the slopes bring the ball to the cups of the pins. 
Um, certain times, you know, there's a big slope on the side of the green. So you hit the green, you're good. If you hit that big slope, it kind of comes down and like allows you to kind of play some different shots. So it's a place where you can actually have a lot of fun and it doesn't need to be an absolute grind all the time. Uh, but my favorite memory would be the first qualifier I did. I got under my 5.4 handicap, so I was able to enter the Massachusetts Mid-Am. And the, so this is the first mass golf event that I've done. I went out and I shot even par, which was the first time I ever shot even par. And I actually won the qualifier by two, getting into the actual Mid-Am. Uh, and it wasn't that it was a real rocky start because I birdied the first. I went to the second. I hit my ball up. It was a blind approach shot. And I thought it was pretty good, but we're up there. We can't find it. Can't find it. Can't find it. Can't find it. Five minutes is up. I grab my club, a ball, my range finder. I start walking back to go re replay. And then I hear my caddy yells out to me. He goes, hey, hey, it's here. The ball actually embedded in the fringe. So we had spent the five minutes looking for it. I'm, I'm frazzled. I'm a, I'm a mess because I just birdied my first hole. Now I'm on the second hole. I thought I had lost the ball. I get up there. They were like, hey, we got the pin out. Do you want it back in? I was like, nah, just leave it. I almost chipped it in, hit the putt, went to the third hole, and birdied that. So I was two under through three with a potential lost ball. It was a, it was, it was a, it was real frantic start, but uh, um, I ended up shooting even par, even par seventy one that day. That was two years ago. So that was uh, that was my best memory playing. That is pretty cool. Uh, what is uh, one takeaway that you would like our listeners to apply today or this week? Yeah. So one thing that I like, and I, I think most people are going to be kind of in the same boat. Um, I know the country's in a real weird place right now. And actually when Massachusetts seemed like we were absolutely screwed, now it seems like, you know, we're absolutely not screwed. So the country's in a very strange place and, you know, everything's going to be crazy for, for a while. Don't make fitness something that it's not. Don't let it be a big stressor. Don't let it be a big debate. Don't, you know, don't Google 400 programs. Don't look into 70 different coaches. You know, you're not buying a house. You're, you're training for golf. Given the current climate, there are much more important things in the world. So focus on the basics. Pick what you can be consistent with. Because whatever you can be consistent with is what's going to get you the best results. Whether it's the best program or not, it doesn't matter. It's whatever you can stick to and... Make sure that what you're doing is going to get you close to what you want to do. So if you can be consistent and you know the program is going to at least get you on the path to doing what it is that you want to do, that's where I would be. So you heard me say that I like squats, hinges, upper body push, upper body pull, and carry. If that's what you want to do three days a week until you know we can get back to something different, then do that and do it three days a week because you're going to get great results from it. But, you know, don't try to take on something that is going to be too unrealistic or too big or, you know, don't sit like it could be one of those things like, oh, I'm going to finally join whatever gym. And it's like, well, you know, right now it's not going to kind of work. Some places definitely aren't going to be open uh, or you're going to be working out in my parking lot, which is what it's been. 
for the month. Um, so when you're looking to do what you can do, especially right now, pick what you can pick, what is going to get you to play some better golf, what's going to get you in better shape and make sure it's something that you can be consistent with. And that's it. You don't, again, you don't need to rifle through too many options, pick something, be consistent with it and go with it. I said this multiple times on these podcasts and interviews and whatnot, but the small, simple, consist things done consistently is what leads to greatness. So I love that advice there. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on. I have half page worth, actually almost a full page worth of notes from, from what we talked about today. So I thought this was awesome. Hope the listeners did too. So we'll have, oh, before we go, uh, letting us, let us know how we can support you, what you're doing for golfers, and, and just kind of keep up with the, what you're doing. Yeah, so my the the main platform I use is Instagram, and it's just at golfers that lift. Um, I just put out info. I just put out exercises. I just you know give people ideas, give people perspective. Um, you know, some people ask me about programming. Some people ask me about like products, whatever. I'm not doing it because I think the Instagram is going to make me rich. I just do it because I want, I want training for golf to be better. Um, I think we can be better. So that's why I'm doing it. Uh, could I monetize it? I don't know. Maybe I probably could, but it's not what I'm interested in. It's, uh, you know, I got my own, I got my in-person business. What I do for Instagram is you, you guys can feel, you guys can feel good about it. I'm doing it genuinely to help. I, it's, I'm not, again, I'm not running ads. I'm not, you know, buy my mastermind for a thousand dollars a month. It's not bad. It's I'm here to help. If you want any additional help, you reach out, I'll help you whichever way I can. That's how it works. Um, if you want some less frequent, but sometimes potentially more entertaining stuff, you can, uh, find me on Twitter. which is just at Bobby Dattero. Um, you'll occasionally catch some of my stuff from friends, you know, degenerate activity, sometimes about, you know, a little bit about gambling or whatever, but um, I'll retweet some stuff. I'll put out some perspective. I'll, I'll join the conversation on Twitter too, but uh, mainly you can find me on Instagram at golfers that lift, not golfers who lift it's golfers that lift. And uh, that's where you're going to find most of me and, you know, DMS comments. I'm, I'm checking it. It's me. I don't have a social media person. So you can feel uh, you can feel comfortable that it's going to be me responding to you. Well, that's it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. We'll have all of Bobby's information in the show notes. But thank you so much, Bobby. Like I said, this was awesome. And thank you guys for listening. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by helping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.